We're just so blessed that you're a part of this service. Let's bow our heads as we ask God to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you for these dear people. Thank you for the blessings that you've given us in so many ways, Lord. And now I ask you, Father, that you will speak to our hearts with a message through the Holy Spirit. Let it be your word, Lord, not the word of a man, but the words inspired by the Holy Spirit for the truth of today. Father, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know that I have been uh, preaching on the life of Abraham. We are now in part five of the life of Abraham. And really, today we're going to focus on Genesis 17, 18, and 19. Don't worry, we're not going to read three chapters. But I'm going to distill it for you uh, in order to put this message together because there's so much that God has for us as we study the life of Abraham and his family in so many, in so many ways. Uh, and so as we, as we do this, one of the things that we see is that God would speak to Abraham. He would come. He would send angels to him. And in fact, there would be a time when he would actually even come uh, and see him in person. Um, and so if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 17, uh, and uh, you'll see here that Abraham is going to be spoken to by, by the angels uh, and going to get a message, an important message. And so, beginning with verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. You will now call her Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Have you ever felt like that? You get the promises of God, and you say, this just cannot be possible. I want to believe you, God. I really want to believe you, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And he says, will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? The answer is yes. And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And I want you to see how you love Abraham, because here he is. This is the child of liaison he had with Hagar, uh, and which has basically split his family apart, and yet he still seeks to have a blessing on Ishmael. That is the intercessory aspect of this godly man, seeking always to intercede for others. Um, and, and so you see here, he's looking to get a blessing for, for Ishmael. And God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, as in an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and I will surely bless him too. I will make him uh, fruitful, and I will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. And so you see God reiterating, reiterating these promises. And then you see that Abraham still had trouble believing. This is the father of the Jewish people, the, the faithful friend of God. Yet you see in him the, the aspect of still not truly believing what God will do. Uh, and so this becomes an important mark for ourselves as we come to terms with how God wants us to live and the faithful promises that God makes for us. Now, in Genesis chapter 18, three men will appear at the tent 
of Abraham. One of them will be the Lord. This is a theophany. And as I've said to you before, theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will be there. Uh, and so if you open your, your Bible to Genesis chapter 18, I want to read a few verses there that make a, a certain point. The Lord, verse 1, appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Notice the humility, the lack of uh, arrogance, the submission of, of this man. He said, uh, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. And so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quickly said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. And so what you see here is the gift of hospitality, that Abraham understood that God had called him uh, to be a very special man. And so he's extending the gift of hospitality. And hospitality is such an important thing for us to exhibit to a world, especially so to the fellow saints of the church. You know, when I think back to my days growing up in my mother and father's home as he was a pastor for 50 years. And my mother constantly had that house open, constantly. There were people in that house every single day of the week. And whether she was making meals for people or sending meals out until the last couple years of her life, that's how she believed God wanted her to serve him. And so I extend this to the church, that this is an important aspect of our walk with God. Um, and I want you to see, if you would, to turn to Galatians chapter 6, and Paul speaks on this important issue. Uh, and in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I know so many of you have that gift of hospitality. That's an important gift uh, that God has given you. And so you see it here. Even there, you see it being exhibited by, by Abraham. And so now we saw, we saw Abraham having disbelief. Now we're going to take a look at Sarah expressing her own disbelief on the promises of God. Verse 10, chapter 18, verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now remember, she's 90 years old. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Somebody asked me, well, was it really like being 90 today? All I can tell you, whatever it was, they knew that their bodies were dead, all right, long past the chance to have children. So whether it was 90, 80, or 70, whatever it was, it was old, Okay. And so she did not believe that God could do this, all right? So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And I love this because God is in the tent. God's in the tent, and she's effectively thinking this to herself. Be careful what you think about when God is in the tent. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh 
Why did she laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Don't lie to the Lord. Don't lie to the Lord. And so the point is, is that even as we come across these promises that God makes, even as he's lifted you up, you need to be able to balance submission before God. Who knows what God's will is for your life? Who knows what promises he has? I feel that way for our church right now, even as we are awaiting God to give us our building. I believe that God has chosen the building and that he is letting us have patience and wait on him. That's how God is, you see? That's the nature of our God. And you know, so you see this uh, in the life of Abraham. Uh, and so I'm so touched by this. And so what we see here also is that Abraham had this most incredibly intimate relationship with God, where God really loved him and protected him and talked to him as if, as if he were a friend. Um, and so God in the 18th chapter of Genesis, begins to tell him things that he plans to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. God decides to tell him. And, and if you look at this, you'll see this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 15, 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord say, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. What does it mean? It means that God hears the prayer of those people who have been prevailed upon. God hears the prayers of those people who are suffering, who are persecuted, who had experiences in Sodom and Gomorrah that were horrendous, and God heard the prayers. And now he was going down so that he could personally see what kind of judgment would be placed against that wicked city. And so you see here that he is about to tell Abraham exactly what he will do. And the reason that he decides that he will tell Abraham is that he sees that Abraham will teach his children and grandchildren about the things of God. How about that? God saw that Abraham would teach his children and his grandchildren about the things of God. And therefore, God decided to share his experience with Abraham. This is an important point in ministry for you. Every single one of you here that have been blessed to have children 
or blessed to have grandchildren are called to minister to your children and grandchildren. You are called to represent the things of God. You are called to lift high the standard of God in so many ways. And you see it here with effectively the very first Jew, the father of the Jewish nation, who is now being elevated because he will have that kind of heart that God will honor him. And so you see it. And so here it is. Abraham is now told, no told about what God is going to do. Uh, and it becomes incredible as you see this. And so now you see that, that as Abraham hears this, understands what God will do, now, now Abraham begins to have intercession for the people that are going to be destroyed. Uh, and if you have your Bible, again, look at Genesis chapter 18, beginning with verse 22. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? I mean, you got to love the fact that he has this intimacy with God, that he can say to the Lord, I'm going to negotiate with you, Father. Will you really do it? Will you kill them? Will you wipe the place out for 50 righteous people? You wouldn't do it for 50, would you? The Lord says, no, 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 I will not do it for 50. Uh, I will not. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And you got to love the heart of Abraham again, all right? He doesn't stop. He doesn't say, well, I did the best I can. I prayed for the people. You know how we are. Somebody tells you, pray for me. You'll launch something quick, but do we really pray? Do we really intercede? Do we really get on our knees? Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you, destroy the, will you destroy the whole city because of five, of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found? What do you think the, the mind of God was? As he's seeing this man negotiate with him. I'd say the amount of love that God had had to be enormous. As he saw the heart of a man who was sold out, sold out for people who were going to be destroyed and cared for them. That's the nature of what God wants. This is how God wants us to live, to intercede like this with a heart that's broken. And so the Lord says, uh, if I will not do it if I find 30. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold to speak, what if only 20 can be found? This had to be some meeting, had it? Can you just see it? This had to be something. He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me just speak one more time. Once more, what if only 10 can be found? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Now, did you ever wonder why he stopped at 10? I did, and I did some research on this, and what I found is very interesting. I found that Abraham had 10 relatives living in Sodom. And so Abraham most likely said, well, I got eight. That means there's only two outsiders. There's got to be two. No, there isn't. No, there isn't. 
But that's why he stopped. That's why he stopped. And the question for us is just in that same way. When we ask God, when we intervene to people, God doesn't stop you. He allows you to pray and ask and seek his will in so many ways. And so this is an important lesson for us uh, as we understand the will of God in so many ways. Uh, and so you see this here. And now, now the Lord leaves and the Lord does not go into Sodom and Gomorrah. He sends the two angels but God himself does not go into Sodom. And you ever wonder why God himself didn't go into Sodom? It is because the Lord cannot abide evil. The Lord does not abide evil. He will not sit with evil. He will not answer the prayer of evil people. He has nothing to do with evil. And so he sent the angels to do that and to get back to him. And if you want proof of this, turn to Psalm 66, if you would. Psalm 66, verse 16. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love for me. That's the lesson for us. If you have sin in your heart, if you have unconfessed sin in your heart, if you have not repented to the Lord, your prayers will not be answered. Because God will not abide evil. And this is an important thing for us to stand as understand uh, as Christians. Uh, and, and, and so it becomes important to understand this, even as we see how God wants us to live uh, in such an important way. And so as you see here now, as the angels begin to go into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they encounter the most incredible depraved state of humanity that you could expect to find. It's probably almost as bad as our culture is today. In fact, I think that many of us owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology, truthfully, uh, as you see what God finds an abomination in so many ways. And so uh, as you see this here, the uh, angels go down into Sodom and Gomorrah, and as they go into Sodom and Gomorrah, and they go in there, uh, they, they are immediately... They are immediately seized upon by this recalcitrant population. This population is filled with lust, with animus. And these men, these two angels, who must have been very attractive men uh, as angels, were, were basically accosted as they go into the house of Lot uh, and, and almost fighting the door, closing the door, and, and, and effectively of seeing this depraved state. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you take a look so you can see the verses that I'm talking to you about. Uh, and so uh, verse 3 in chapter 19, but he, he insisted so strongly that they go to his house, that they go in with him and enter his home. He prepared a meal for them, breaking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. I want you to understand the, the nature of depravity of man. They surrounded the house. They wanted these men brought out. They wanted to have homosexual relations with these men. Uh, they called to Lot, 
Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And Lot went out to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do with, with, with them what you like. But don't do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. What are you kidding me? This is one of the worst abominations you find in the Bible. Lot, who lived under the house of Abraham, who saw the presence of God, who knew what it was to experience the presence of God, the promises of God, who came out in the era of the Chaldees with Abraham, and now he says, take my two daughters and do with them as you would have. May God forgive us. What an abomination, what a sin. And so the question becomes, how does this happen? How does this happen? How does a good person wind up speaking like this and acting like this? Because he knew better. He had been under the tutelage of Abraham. He understood who God was. And what happens is we become desensitized to sin. Do you understand? When you live in Sodom, you become desensitized to sin. When you live with immorality, you become desensitized to sin. And if you want any proof on that, all you have to do is the last election. Because what you will see is so many good Christian people vote for candidates that support abortion. Now you say, how can that be? How can it be? Don't they know? Yes, they know. But don't you understand? This is the desensitization of humanity. When we abide and swim in sin, after a while, we lose our moral bearings. That's the warning for the church. That's the warning for your family. You don't want to allow yourself to fall like that. You don't want to do this. You want to be in a position in which you continue to serve God in so many ways. And so you see the depraved nature of man on an exhibit here. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's really frightening when you see it. And so here it is. The angels had to blind these men, blind them to keep them from forcing their way into the house. And even in the blinded state, they still tried to force themselves in. You see, God heard this. God saw it. Uh, and so really what you see today is the mercy of God. And you see the depraved nature of man uh, in so many ways. Uh, and, and so what I see here is I see Lot, a good man, a man who experienced the power of God. He was not saved to the nature of Abraham, but he understood. And yet even so, when he went down to Sodom, and you saw the tendency in his life from the time that he separated with Abraham. Why? He looked with his eyes. He saw the green uh, uh, pastures. He saw where God, where he thought the, the uh, most blessed area would be personally in the world. He didn't ask God what his will was. He did what he wanted. And this is what happens. This is where you wind up being. You wind up being in a place eventually where you're surrounded by immorality and your sensitization has been dulled. And then you wind up saying and doing incredible things as you dig deeper in sin uh, in your life. And it becomes so incredible as you see uh, as you see what happens. Now, one of the things that Lot experienced here was a loss of spiritual credibility. 
Because here's the thing. Here he is. He's in, he's in Sodom. Uh, he has two son-in-laws who are, who are engaged to his daughters. And he begs them to leave Sodom and Gomorrah with him because God is going to destroy the place. And they laugh at him. They laugh at him. Why? They laugh at him because he had no spiritual credibility. You understand? This is the nature of what happens to us when we wind up losing our spiritual relationship with God, when we don't put ourselves in a, in a strong relationship with God. Turn, if you would, uh, to chapter 19. Look, if you would, uh, to verse 15. Well, we'll start with 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-laws thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are with you, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. Then he hesitated. When he hesitated. How much more do we have to hear about the warnings of God? How many times in our life have we been warned about God? When God has spoken to our hearts, and yet what's our reaction? Do we say, yes, Father, thank you. Thank you for making me alert. Instead, in our humanity, we hesitate. And you see this here with this man. When he hesitated, verse 16, the men, the angels, grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. In other words, the angels had to pull them bodily out of, God, out of Sodom. Can you imagine the attraction of immorality, of lust, of insanity, that it was so strong that even when he heard it was going to be destroyed, he still was hesitating. But for the mercy of God, Lot would have been destroyed. And this is a lesson to us as we come across these kinds of issues in our life today. And so you see this, how important it is for, for you to look at these and learn. As soon as, as, soon as they had brought them out, one, one of them, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains and you will be swept away. Flee to the mountains. We're going to destroy this whole place. It's all going to be wiped out. This is the judgment of God. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has found, if your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in the sparing of my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This, this disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to. And it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He's trying to negotiate with God. Don't let me go to the mountains. There's a town. I like this town. Let me stay in this town. Let me stay here in this town. Well, here's the thing. God intended to destroy that town as well. It was Zoar. It was Zoar. Um, and, and the angel said, very well, I will grant the request too. I will not overthrow this town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. And so you see this powerful story that God again allows him to go to this town even though the message was flee Go to the mountains, flee. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah 
from the Lord out of the heavens. Then he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, if you have any doubt at all, about the veracity of this story, you should know that Jesus himself, Jesus himself referred to the fact and warned not to be like Lot's wife. Uh, and to me, that's, that is so meaningful. Whenever I find that, that Jesus did this, look at Luke 17, if you would. Open your Bibles to Luke 17, verse 32. Well, we'll start with 30. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man was revealed. On that day, no one who was on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down inside to them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be, one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body there, the vultures will gather. And so you see God warning us that we need to understand these passages, that we need to understand the judgment of God, the will of God in so many ways. And so it's important to understand it. And so you see this. God doesn't want you to look behind. God doesn't want you to look from where you came from. God called you to a life of, 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 of submission before the throne of God. God doesn't want you to reflect about where you came out of with longing attitudes. You know, so many people I see are still stuck. They call themselves Christians, yet they find themselves going back to the lifestyle that they came out of. Listen, this is the lesson for this. God doesn't want that. If God has saved you with his mercy, if he has called you to be a righteous person in the kingdom of God, the wall comes down. We don't look back. We look forward. We look forward. We walk with God. We serve God. That's the nature of this passage in so many ways. This is what it's about. And that's why God tells us this. And so human sin, as you see it, human sin will always be met either by God's mercy or his judgment. Lot and his family effectively did not merit the opportunity to escape God's judgment. But we learn that God patiently endured Lot's reluctance to go out of Sodom. Isn't that amazing how much God loves us? Then even when we say, I don't want to go, I want to stay, that God says, no, no, he has patience with us. He surrounds us with his love and he protects us even as we are reluctantly serving him. That's the nature of your father. That's how great God is. And so we are a lot like Lot in so many ways. So many of us chasing vanity and pride in so many ways. Look, we're not living in Sodom now, but in many of us, we are living in our hearts and minds. We have Sodom in our hearts and minds. All right, we're chasing vanity in so many ways. We have evil in our hearts. We have a lack of forgiveness. We haven't repented. We have hate in so many ways. We're filled with revenge. And God cannot bless us. You see this, God cannot answer your prayers if in fact you have not repented of that sin. And so I beg you today as we really come together as a church to ask God to seek your heart and to wash your heart and say, Lord, help me, Father, help me to forgive. 
Help me to seek reconciliation with those people that I need to seek reconciliation with. You know what Jesus said. Don't come to the synagogue. Don't come to the temple with a gift and when you still have a, something against one of your brothers. Put the gift down. I'm not interested in what you're going to give or your tithes. I'm interested in your heart. And that's what God is telling us today. He's looking at your hearts. And so you see it in this, in this poignant example with the nephew of Lot. Yes, God will save Lot. Yes, God will save Lot. Yes, God will save his daughters. Cannot save his wife because his wife looked behind. She longed for where she came. And let that be a lesson to all of us. We shouldn't long from where we came from. We should look forward to the cross in so many ways and thank God that he has saved us uh, with his love and mercy in such a powerful way. That's the lesson for today. Let's bow our heads and ask God to close this in our hearts. Father, I pray so much and thank you, Lord, for the lessons that you've given us. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy even for the family of Lot, Father, and for the love of Abraham, how even in his disbelief for the promises that you were giving him, that you would still honor him, Father, and call him the father of many nations, and effectively the father in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you that we be mindful of your mercy mindful of your judgment. And Father, help us every day of our lives to ask you to sweep out our hearts, to bow in repentance, to ask you to forgive us, Father, so that there is a clear line of channel in our prayer life, so that when we pray, you will hear us. And Lord, help us to have the mindset of Abraham who was able to intercede even for people he did not know, Father. And yet he had that kind of love in his heart that he interceded, and you honored that even as he went down to 10 people. Father, these are powerful examples. We thank you for these examples in our life. Help them to grow in our hearts as we serve you day by day and come closer to you, Father, in every way. Be with our people. Continue to protect them as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.